Shalom, and thank you for listening to our podcast. I'm Shmuley Yanklowitz, the president and dean of Valley Beit Midrash. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning, bringing cutting-edge ideas and innovative and pluralistic Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and the world. Please visit www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and enjoy the program. Just a couple of words of um, introduction um, about me and my work. So um, I was ordained in 1985, spent about 20 years doing um, first uh, pastoral care. I worked as a chaplain in um, a number of different acute care hospitals. Then I got involved in hospice care. Um, Then I got involved in something called spiritual direction, which is a particular form of uh, spiritual counseling, uh, which the particular form of it had grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, actually, but was making its way into into the Jewish community. And then uh, in a rather, in a sudden and rather dramatic way, uh, at least looking back, no, at the time it felt that way too. Um, in, at the end of 2004, I received a very powerful call. I can only describe it um, that way uh, to the work of peace and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I can, I'll resist the temptation to actually tell the story because it'll take too much time. Of course, I tell the story in the book. Um, And um, the call came in the context of Israeli-Palestinian grassroots dialogue efforts. It happened at a dialogue center where I witnessed a group of Israeli and Palestinian teenagers uh, at the beginning of a three-day period of trying to get to know one another. So the call erupted as if, big, as if God had said to me, Amy, find a way to be of service to the cause of peace. so I stumble off the mountaintop of having received that command, as it were, at least that's really how it felt, and went back to my home, my new home in suburban St. Paul, Minnesota, and thought, what the heck am I supposed to do now um, to be of service, particularly around, you know, Israelis and Palestinians. Anyway, that um, led me on a journey which is still um, unfold fascination with all things related to peace and conflict, of course, uh, within, um, within uh, the corpus of Jewish texts, wanting to learn and teach what what Jewish wisdom has to offer us um, in these um, contexts, not so much the political ones as how um, conflict actually shows up in our lives and our personal lives. I say most of us on the planet are experts in conflict um, because we live in relationship with other people and it's hard and we rub up against one another, um, sometimes gracefully and sometimes really not so gracefully. It's part of being a human being certainly part of being in relationship and being in a family and being in a community. What is it? You know, community, it's, you know, it's hard. Something about my synagogue community, you know, it's, it's hard. Yes, it's hard being in community because it's a lot of different people with their stuff rubbing each other. I, maybe that's enough of that. And that leads me. So that, so during those years, I did a lot of work in interfaith dialogue. Um, and 
and in uh, attempting to be of service somehow in uh, the ways in which Jews sometimes, uh, people in the Jewish community sometimes struggled uh, to be in conversation with one another around some of the most contentious issues. Um, it, at that time, it seemed like the Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict was one of those issues. Pam and I sat, had a number of these conversations, sat in rooms together, and um, were partners in this work um, in a way. What did I forget? There was something else I did, but I'm not remembering it. So, um, and, and just a passion is with me still, um, a passionate interest in um, issues of peace and conflict, to make them not just songs that we sing and like and maybe vaguely sort of touch, um, but to, to make them reality in our lives for all of us, that is to say, none of us is Secretary of State, and none of us is that is President of the United States, and none of us, right? Um, but in our own corner of the world, in the in the places and the ways in which we do relationship with our with our partners, if we have them, with our families, whoever that might may be, with our communities, with how we are as citizens of our nation, citizens of the world, in all of those circumstances, we have actually opportunities more or less every day, uh, many of them face-to-face, -face, some of them online, multiplied by, God help us, you know, millions. We have opportunities either to serve the cause of peace and to bring peaceful presence to conversations that we're part of, uh, or to be uh, porous kerosene on already inflamed uh, relations. And I know that because sometimes I'm that person, but I aspire to be um, uh, the former. So, um, and, and now about uh, two years ago, I began to work for Pardes, yes, the Pardes Institute of, of Jewish Studies in Jerusalem, which has within it, um, not, not as well known, a uh, Center for Judaism and Conflict Resolution. I have the privilege of teaching with a really remarkable young, meaning 20 years younger than I am, um, Orthodox rabbi who has a PhD in conflict resolution. I just love saying that. Orthodox rabbi, PhD in conflict resolution, teaches conflict resolution at Bar Ilan as well as uh, the man has three or four jobs, way more energy than I had when I was his age. Um, anyway, he has the Center for Judaism and Conflict Resolution, which does all kinds of work within Pardes and all around Israel. If you're interested, ask me later. Happy to talk about it. Um, and also a couple of programs that bring the work of the center to North America. One of the programs uh, works with schools. It's called the Pardes Rodef Shalom Schools Program. Rodef Shalom meaning pursuer of peace. Um, they do conflict resolution education um, with um, day schools at the middle school level. I, I didn't know there was such a thing as conflict. There's a field called conflict resolution education, which is teaching. Some of you are nodding. Maybe you're educators. You know it's about teaching kids um, how to deal with conflict. And doing it with middle schoolers struck me as particularly brilliant because issues of, issues of uh, bullying, identity, relationship, you know, are so uh, pivotal um, at those um, at that age. So um, when I met Daniel, my future colleague, I heard he heard about this Rodev Shalom Schools program, and I said, "What about Rodev Shalom Schools?" So that's my program, uh, Rodev Shalom Communities. Work I work with um, rabbis in particular, and uh, synagogues, and to a lesser degree, uh, communal organizations all around the country. Um, exploring how to make Jewish principles, values, and practices of um, reconciliation, of constructive communication, of how to do conflict well, how to make 
our aspiration for peace um, real in the lives of our uh, community members and in the lives of our institutions. So that's what I that's what I do most of these days. So so the topic, particularly for today. So um, what we're going to do for the rest of the day, I think, well, until your Q and A, and then we can talk about whatever you want to talk about, has to do with Musar. Uh, so should I define Musar? Um, so uh, last time I was here, Ilana and I listened to a brilliant hour-long talk uh, on introduction to Musar by the person, Alan, I always forget how to pronounce this, Alan, Alan Marinus, is it? So many of you know Alan, as uh, a really brilliant um, uh, teacher of Musar and responsible for a revival of Musar. Anyway, very, very short definition is that it's an ancient uh, thread in Jewish tradition um, drawn drawn on the most ancient of Jewish sources, biblical and rabbinic, but became a thing, uh, became a system um, of study and practice uh, around the year 1000, something like that, and then and then became a very intentional and widespread movement in the 18th century. Um, I th my personal definition of a Musar is um, it's a Jewish values-laden version of cognitive behavioral therapy. It's, it, it's, not, it's not a therapeutic system. It is, a, it is a spiritual life system. But it's not just a way of thinking. It's a system that includes a lot of study, of course, because it's Jewish, but is, is directed toward the goal of making us better people, of making us more Menschlich. And so it includes a lot of study um, and chavruta study, study with partners, study in classes, study of ancient texts, um, but also a system of practice um, so that, I mean, you've all been in this room before, right? These beautiful signs that you probably know the person who um, created them. No, maybe not. Um, so these signs represent some of uh, what are called midot, um, which I translate soul traits or soul qualities, um, but from the, the word midah comes from the word for weight or balance. Uh, back to that in a minute. So the midot, which are soul traits, um, include uh, order, seder, order, emunah, trust, bitachon, emunah, faith, bitachon, trust, shtika, silence, silence of virtue. Yes. Um, kavod, respect or honor, savlanut, uh, patience, though it's more than that, chesed, loving kindness, and anava, humility are some of them. Um, so I had, um, uh, so Musar, Musar is not a conflict resolution system. Um, it's a system designed to help us become the people that we are supposed to become. Um, it is maybe a, a system intended to bring us closer uh, to fulfilling the mitzvah. We can never completely fulfill the mitzvah, but closer to fulfilling the mitzvah. Kadoshim ti yu, ki kadosh ani be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It's a system intended to bring us closer to living in the image of God. Um, uh, however, how, we, how might we understand that? What do you mean, image of God? Some people get uncomfortable about the, what do you mean image of God? How am I supposed to 
I don't look like God. God doesn't look like anything. The rabbis actually asked that question, what does it mean? What does image of God mean? Because it's not about physical resemblance. It is about it is about, the rabbis say, emulation of uh, qualities of soul or soul traits. Um, and actually, we'll, we'll hold, that, hold that thought. We'll come back to that um, in a second. Um, uh, I want to say this is lifelong uh, practice, except for the tzaddikim, you know, the saintly among us who just have it, who got it. Um, and I don't know too many such people. Um, I mean, I know a couple such people. I'm sure you do too. Um, but it's lifelong practice. It's not a goal that we get to uh, that, that's a destination. It's a goal that's, that's an aspiration. And the, and the other um, introductory thing I want to say about um, the system of the midot of the soul traits is it's not about having more and more and more and more of one trait. Um, and some of these are good examples of that. For example, anava, humility. Maybe I shouldn't use it. That's, that can be a difficult one. But it's maybe obvious that anava, humility in an extreme, is actually not a good thing. Humility in an extreme means allowing myself to be humiliated and not doing the good things that I'm supposed to do, that I was put on earth to do because I don't feel worthy of even trying, right? So too much, too much of a good thing on any of the midot, on any of the midot is not the goal. Or savlanu, patience, for example, to be excessively patient um, is, is, might be being passive, right? And, and again, being even paralyzed from from action. So the goal on all of these seder, uh, being organized and disciplined is a good thing, but too much of that is maybe diagnosable, right? <laughs> um, so, the, so the goal is to be in balance on each of these midot. So uh, you get it, how it's a, it's a lifetime's work. So I had heard of Musar, of course. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I won't tell you too much more autobiographically, but, but as I was writing the book about peacemaking, although, uh, I, again, not to say that the Midot Musar is not a peacemaking conflict transformation system, um, but as I spent a number of years uh, reading as my everything I could get my hands on about theories of conflict and conflict transformation and systems of facilitation of difficult conversation, um, I realized theory and uh, facilitation practice, I learned a lot, and that's actually a lifelong learning process for me too. But I realized that fundamentally, what makes the difference, I think, between my those moments when I'm the person who brings a peaceful presence into a, a difficult, a tense interaction on the one hand, and those moments when I'm the one who makes things worse, the difference between those two move, moves uh, has to do with the state of my own soul. Uh, and again, I'm the state of my own soul. And again, I mean that not in a static way, because, you know, some days I'm more humble, sometimes I'm less. Sometimes I'm more arrogant, sometimes I'm less arrogant, sometimes I'm more, you know, it's, that's being, being a human being. Um, but when I'm off, when something is out of balance, that's when I'm likely to lose it. Um, so I really came back to, so I, the last chapter of the book is about, um, I called it Midot, I forget what I call it, now I call it Midot for the Rodev Shalom, 
um, Miguel qualities of soul that are essential to the practice of peace. The book is about peacemaking. So today, the context is, um, uh, it, it seems to me a lot of people think that we are in extraordinarily contentious times. I know almost anything that one says these days can be understood to be partisan and that a certain part of the political spectrum feels like this is unprecedentedly, un, unprecedentedly bad. And there are other people in the Jewish community, I hope in this room, I hope we're not all of exactly the same political uh, persuasion because that would be, you know, siloing. Um, it's more interesting if we're different. We get to learn stuff from each other if we're, if we're not all the same. But, you know, some many people in the Jewish community feel like, no, actually the really hard years were the eight years of the, the Obama years. And now, actually, I think maybe there are some okay, okay things that are happening. Um, but I, I think regardless of persuasion, from where I stand, I can't, I, I'm not sure that there's been a, a time in my lifetime, and I'm 62 years old, that the Jewish community has been as fractured as it is um, today. So that is to say, I think we live in polarized and turbulent times. So what helps us? So the rest of the session, I promise I'm going to stop with the, with the introduction. The rest of the session is about what helps us, but please. No, I yeah, right, right. It's 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 different. It's defined differently. It's experienced a little bit differently. But but I think there is a there is a turbulence. Um, so where do we turn? Um, we as Jews, I'm not. Uh, this is partly about Jewish tradition and partly just about Jewish sociology. We when we have a problem, we definitely we generally the first move is generally to try to argue ourselves out of it. <laughs> right? Uh, or think ourselves out of it. Um, and that instinct is very strong. I know it's very strong in me. I came from a highly political family, and that's what we did at the dinner table was talk politics. Um, but I actually think on a deeper level in terms of how, how do we live through these years with wisdom, mm -hmm. much less how do we be productive members, even I would say peace-loving members of our communities, our families. There are many, many, many families in which not everybody voted for the same candidate, not everybody reads the same newspaper, and so on. Um, how, how do we live wisely and gracefully um, in, these, in these turbulent times? I think the answer is increased um, attention. Uh, to this practice, practice of Musar. Some of you, this is not, a, I don't work for the Musar Institute, and, you know, um, but I think there's, there's really much, much wisdom here. So um, if you would pick up your, um, your handouts, uh, we, uh, the handout begins with uh, what I hope are two very familiar uh, verses. Um, from the book of Exodus, and they make their way into the Sidur, and especially the High Holiday Maksor, when we actually chant them over and over and over again. Um, Adonai, Adonai, El-Rachum V'chanun, um, O God, God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in kindness and faithfulness, extending kindness to the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. The, that verse is actually cut in half, and it continues, cut in half by the rabbis, not just by me, but that's, an, that's another story. Um, this is a definition of God's nature that the rabbis elevated. If you ask who is God in the Torah, 
There are lots of different ways, legitimate ways that we can answer that question because God, God reveals many different faces of God in the Torah. But the face, I, I would argue, and this is and this is debatable because rabbinic literature is very uh, diverse literature, of course, is that the rabbis work hard, at least in many places, to elevate the image of God that's about these qualities: compassion, graciousness. Um, slow to anger, forbearance, kindness, faithfulness, um, forbearance, you know, bearing, uh, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and so on. Um, and here is that famous Midrash that I alluded to um, before. Um, it says in one, uh, the, the author of the book of Deuteronomy uses the expression walking in God's ways a lot. Um, and somebody says, what do you mean walk in God's ways? What does it mean to walk in God's ways? Besides God is a devouring fire. It says, quoting another verse, how can you walk? How can a finite being walk in God's ways? What does that mean? Taking it, except that's a klutz kasha, right? I, you know, it's a turn of phrase, but what does that mean? These are the ways of the Holy one. Quoting the verses just above, compassionate and kind, patient, abounding in kindness and truth, and so on. Just as God is gracious and compassionate, you too must be gracious and compassionate and give freely to all. As the Holy One is righteous, you too must be righteous. As the Holy One is living, as loving, you too must be loving. This is a definition of what we're supposed to work on in our lives. This is who we're supposed to be. This is the aspiration that we are supposed to pursue um, every day as long as we have life. And know that we will fail because we are not divine. We will regularly fail, and we need to keep resetting that uh, that goal and aspiration and get back to work. Right. I have a question. Um, how much of the motivation for this kind of emphasis on these qualities of God comes from the historical conditions? A lot of the Midrash came out of the building period. And so much of this was a response to the polemics. And in a similar way that today we live in Palestine, we can also find refuge in these kinds of texts. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm not sure that I would go there. I think I'm not as much of a historian as you are. Um, but I, there's certainly, you know, maybe something there. We'd have to go back and see exactly when when was this. Not just not when was the big the God of love versus the God of law. It comes out of the for sure, for sure. Um, maybe, maybe. Um, I think where my mind, what draws me in this literature, is is more toward thinking about how it works in practice, in personal practice. But um, certainly, certainly could be. So um, I'd like to give you a little time to study together. Uh, so so let's just um, look at what's here. Um, the midot. I think I gave you the same midot that I that I have in the book around. It's the, it's the same. I think the midot that make for good, especially make for good living, in my view, are the same. Whether the subject is how to deal with conflict or um, how to deal with well, this is how to deal with conflict and how to deal with uh, turbulence in in life. You'll see. Um, I'm, uh, yes, it's a six page handout. It's actually shortened for my longer handout. Um, Kindness with a few texts attached, compassion with a few texts attached, um, honor, kavod, generosity, nidivutlev, self-awareness, da'at, humility, anava, 
equanimity, but which I understand to mean really sort of staying in balance. Equanimity sort of is the opposite of reactivity, person who gets, you know, blown off course easily. And uh, courage, uh, or omet slave, or, or strength, gvura. Um, so what I'd like to ask you to do is choose a chavruta partner. Um, I prefer groups of two, but groups of three are okay. Please no groups more than three. Otherwise, the chat factor, the chatting is, is irresistible, I think, at that number. And I want you not, I, I want you talking about the text. I want you talking to each other with the text in the, in the center. And I want to ask you to, what I, what I ask you to do is what one of you choose, see which one of you first comes up with one of the midot that jumps off the page at you, in answer to the question, where in my life recently have I seen this quality be out of balance, particularly in myself? I, I would suggest that you not point a finger at any particular political figure, because that's so easy to do, and it doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily growthful for us for us to talk about other people. You know, in 12-step programs, they talk about taking somebody else's moral inventory instead of taking your own moral inventory. This isn't about, you know, he's out of balance on such and such a, you know, virtue. Um, but in yourself, you know, and pick a, pick a, a moment when you noticed, in retrospect, whoa, I was really a little out of balance around kindness or around generosity. Maybe I wasn't generous enough, or maybe I was too humble, um, or I wasn't courageous enough. See what I mean? Um, and if you have the chance, um, I, I'll suggest you, one, you, for the two of you, choose one person who says, I want to do compassion. Okay, so do compassion. <laughs> Read a couple of the texts and see how, do, how would the texts um, support an understanding of that midah that would have been helpful to you, that it would, would be, that was out of balance in that situation or that moment. And if you get to this, follow-up question would be, can you think of a person in your life? Uh, uh, I, I, would, I would invite you, if possible, to choose a person you actually know face-to-face, -face. not a, again, not a, a, a long dead Hasidic Rebbe, you know, who could be well be, you know, an exemplar, but, but, but which is, which is great, but, but I really want someone that you actually know, um, who's actually especially good on this midah, who's a model for you about that midah. So is that, is that reasonably clear? Um, and I'd say, I'll give you 10 minutes to study together, and we'll come back and hear what you've been talking about, and then, then after that, uh, throw the throw the floor open. Okay? And I'll, um, I'll walk around, so if you have questions. Um... So um, because I talked a little too much in the beginning, we're going to have a little less time that I had hoped to, uh, to put our heads together. And 
don't worry, those of you who would rather not share, there's not going to be time to debrief from each chavruta. Um, but let's hear, let's hear from a couple. Um, tell me which, tell us all, uh, which midah were you working on? Um, what, how did it relate to a situation in your life? Um, may, maybe just that one. Uh, let me maybe just stop with that one. And that, if you want, if you want to really tell us about I'm your teach it, master, you know, all the way through dinner. Uh, no, we're going to do this for a few minutes, and then there'll be a few minutes for Q and A, and then you'll go. We'll all go our own way. Yeah, just just a couple, please. Sure. Okay. So Marilyn and I were speaking about equanimity, and uh, it spoke to both of us. I sort of jumped out of my chair, sort of tickled her, and we said, "Oh, okay. Well, that's when." Yeah, she liked it. So this idea about being non-reactive. Yep. Um, uh, and we talked about whether it happens, whether we're in our professional lives, at home, etc., the things that trigger it, the things that can bring us back. Um, uh, and we found it in, in different places. I found a great deal of comfort in this uh, first paragraph here where uh, you become a tr like the tree by the waters. Um, this on is, page five, uh, the bottom of page right, five. If you're trusting God... You will not be anxious in the year of drought, and nor will it cease from yielding fruit. So, um, you are like a tree planted in the earth. God's with you. You hear a piece of news. Uh, you know, I, I, a lot of my friends are on the left, and right around election day, and for some time afterwards, everybody was just completely, I'm sure it was like incredibly unhealthy for everyone. I must have, you know, it's like sort of blood pressure spiking, neurological attacks all the time. <gasps> you know, just, I, I don't mean to, it sounds like I'm making fun of it. I don't, it was just, it was, it was extreme. It was extreme. I, so think about how different that is from an image of a tree, you know, whose branches may sway in a storm, but, it, but its roots its, its rootedness is such that it is safe and stable and nourishment and nourished. So that's what equanimity practice aims at, that even when someone says something that alarms you, either politically alarms you or personal, personally alarms you, that you can still breathe into your tree, into your inner tree. Thank you. Thank you. Who else Just to tell me which media were you talking about and what struck you about it? I just want to comment on the tree. If you picture yourself as a tree, you've got to take care of the trunk first, because if you don't take care of that, everything goes through. Wonderful. So here's the thing. I'm asking you to isolate one mida and mm -hmm. say, I'm, I, want to, I want to study, talk about one mida. They're not hermetically sealed. There so many of them are connected to the other. A lot of times when you study Musayi, you say, well, what really is the connection between, is the difference between humility and respect or whatever? So, so you're pointing to a connection between, which I'm not sure that I had thought about before, between equanimity and compassion or kindness right. for self, right. right? This doesn't work without uh, off regular offerings, caregiving offerings of... Um, kindness to ourselves because we are as 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 in need of nourishment as the as the others <coughs> in, in our lives and we want to nourish nice right. and then we talked about compassion you talked about compassion, compassion what about it which was the Midah, uh, the Midah. and um, 
We were talking about friends who call us and talk and talk and talk and talk. And, uh -huh. and finally, you know, we have to have compassion. We don't want bad things to happen to this person. And um, so you listen, and everybody's got their own service. You just, you just want them to shut up. I heard whisper. <laughs> yes, yes. Sorry, it's just it's like all of us. Right. Kind of, you know, because you don't want to lose it. So how, how do you how do you find the place of compassion in that moment when you're like, mm -hmm, okay, so I have work to do, okay, I have to go, whatever. No family is immune. And I say, I commend you for what you're doing to this particular situation. And then I change the subject. Am I supposed to change it? But so, I do, because it, it's otherwise I couldn't continue. So um, I, I love, certainly we, I, we all have limits, and we need to know where those limits are. And that's maybe a quality of order of, you know, at a certain point, I, I can only go so far with this conversation, and I just know that I have limits. I have to go pick up my grandkids, or, you know, whatever it is. Physically, you know, logistically I have limits, but psychologically, spiritually I also um, have limits. But during the period when you're listening, when you are hanging there and listening, noticing, oh, this is so annoying. Wow, I'm hearing the same story over and over again, if she would only blah and blah and blah. Um, when I'm doing that, what I'm practicing and if there were a neurologist in the room, actually strengthening the part of my brain that is impatient and judgmental and, well, let's patient, impatient and judgmental. And when I can, when I have a moment of self-awareness, right, self-awareness is another media, then I can say, is that what I want to be strengthening in my brain or do I want to be strengthening compassion in my heart? Can I hang in for another few minutes truly hoping for this person's well-being, even though I'm not sure that this particular conversation is going gonna, is gonna to go anywhere. Maybe one more. Please. That kind of touches upon what we were talking about. My mom was saying that um, she felt like equanimity was, a, was an issue as she's gotten older and experienced some physical difficulties. She's become a little more needy. And then I kind of said in compliment to that, well, I'm trying to practice more compassion because it's hard for me to understand what that loss of independence looks and feels like. And then the rabbi introduced a great idea, which was maybe you need to be compassionate for yourself. You know? <laughs> and that was a really uh, nice thing to reflect upon. And it does tie into the, um, uh, uh, the mido and it, it, and will, let's see, but its leaves will be green, talking about the tree, and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will it cease from yielding fruit. You know, that idea that maybe she's not in a giving place right now, but that doesn't mean it's a total loss. So thank you for introducing that. Well, it was a beautiful, beautiful conversation. So I hate to say it, but we're almost out of time. So let's just take, let's just take a couple of minutes for you to talk about whatever you want. Well, that's oh, what I want to say. Oh, you just It'll take just a few minutes. Okay. How about just a few questions? And if there's more than one, maybe I'll hear a, a couple uh, because we have so little time. Brief comment. Um, your third, the follow through. I thought it was so interesting that in my life, a rabbi came to understanding. There are very few role models for these. And I, I'm thinking you know, maybe I don't know enough people or I'm not going to the right places, but it struck me that I don't really have role models for many of these. So I have to say, I feel a little skeptical of what you're saying. 
because there are a lot of people going around. You know, there's a um, statement in the Mishnah, um, who is a wise person, one who learns from everyone. So there's stuff the Musar masters think about that. You know, if you're like a great Talmudic rabbi, right, you don't know a lot of people who are way, way, way more learned than you are. And you might feel, what can I possibly have to learn from the shoemaker, from the crossing guard, from the person at the, at the, the uh, cash register at the supermarket? But the Musar masters say that's what it means to be open to learning everyone. So, you know, maybe I need to look more broadly and be willing to, for a surprise. I remember at the seminary, um, there was a man who served food at the seminary, um, who I think had been there forever, um, who it struck me of all the extraordinary midot that our professors had was one of the most kind and joyful human beings that I thought I had ever met. I mean, it was so palpable in his case. You didn't have to really be paying attention. It was just, it was, it was so beautiful. You know, he wasn't a great philosopher uh, to, to my knowledge, but he was such a kind and generous human being. So maybe we all need to sort of see where is there a model. You know, in some cases, I'm thinking of my own rabbi, right, who's a model of most of these things, right? But I happen to be lucky, but please. I, so this is comments about the content, or if there's something else that you wanted to jump in with? It's open. Please. So... I'm um, blessed with the, the blessing and the curse of talking to everyone. And so, <laughs> and some days, you know, you don't know what, it, oh, why didn't I show up? But on the other hand. You don't know what you're going to get, what you're going to hear. Is no, that what I you meant? I wish I didn't. <laughs> so, okay. You know, you ask somebody a question and you hate the answer. But uh -huh. on the other hand, when you talk about the people in, People are not seen. People are not seen. And we all want to be seen. So particularly in the people that don't have um, great learning or whatever, they're seen. Okay? But the person who works at the cash register or is the janitor or whatever, they're never seen. And uh -huh. so um, years ago, I started commenting to the cash register lady about her earrings. Now, if you want to talk to any woman, talk about her earrings. I agree. <laughs> I agree. So, I, I'm and the how same. much yeah. I have learned from earrings. I, I totally agree. I've never heard that was anyone say that before, but I know it's my practice also when I encounter a woman in a service yeah. position to strike up a conversation about her earrings because I'm also an earring person, then we get into you know whatever. I think of that as a practice of kavod or respect. Um, one of my teachers in Musar, David Jaffe, ta talks about when, he when he's in the two weeks of his cycle that he's particularly practicing kavod, um, one of those times he started up a conversation with, oh, he, was in the, he was in a public bathroom, oh, and the, uh, there was a guy, <laughs> there was a man who was obviously paid to be sweeping the floor and cleaning the bathroom. And David said, Thank you. 
aware that this is probably a person who's often not seen, at least in his public uh, role. We don't know. Maybe he's the elder of his family and very much beloved and revered, but in his public role. So David said, thank you. And when the man responded, it was clear that the man thought that David had said, thank God. The man began to hold forth about his, his belief in God and how blessed he is and what a graced life he has. And what this is a man who cleans the toilets. And David left. So that, that practice led him to meeting this saintly person in the exterior guise of a, you know, of the janitor in the, you know, train station, whatever. However, others could look at this man who now talks about his blessed life and goes, oh my God, I'm going to be sick. You know, and when will he stop and how do I get out of here? Uh Well, so that's when my order, that's when I have failed to say, as I I did this morning, I'd always get this right, but I was in the airport, really, really tense. I have, you know, another talk to give tonight and another one tomorrow. And the way that's just one of those, you know, crazy weeks. And this woman approaches me, oh, are you a rabbi? You know, whatever, which usually I love those conversations. It's like, lady, I don't have time to do this right now. There are three emails I have to send. So, whatever. So I know the feeling. Yeah, um, for being open. Uh, yes, I mean some people will sort of force that. I'm not sure that it's in all the you know petit openness of heart. I think of that as a generosity practice. Okay. Um, not just like being stingy with my time. Nope. Sorry, I'm only gonna do what exactly I want to do. I don't care that you. Well, are curious know. about this, never saw a woman in a kippah before, blah, blah, blah. Um, this is a Baptist and wants to tell me about how they're different. there are some Baptists who do ordain women and other Baptists who don't, which normally is a conversation I would have been very interested in. Um, Did she ask you where you keep your horns? No, she was not. She was not of that at all. She was very, not of that, at, that ilk at all. Very, very appreciative. I was not so appreciative. I, I, I had to like push myself to be... Uh, open and as generous as I could with my time, and then to say as kindly as I could, I'm so sorry. I t- there are three emails that I have to send before we get on the plane, so I'm sorry for being rude, right? So I don't always get it right, but I think today I sort of try to get stuff in balance. No, I want to say a word of gratitude to you and, mm-hmm. and share with people here something they don't know about. Amy she doesn't just teach this, she lives it. And because of you, Amy, you helped me to get involved in the Imam Rabbi group years ago. And it was an area that I had a lot of fears about, just based on all the stuff out there. And uh, Amy, in her really gracious way, in a very Musar way, really drew me in. And I'm still going to these meetings. I'm here this winter, but I'm scheduled to go when I go back. You stepped up, Norman. You, you know, so I, I, stepped I up. I say that you're a person who doesn't just teach. You live what you teach. Thank you. That's very sweet. That. Tell, tell them the story about um, the proclamation after the, the um, calls to the JCCs began or the cemetery oh, yeah. desecration. This group that we've been meeting with stepped up when there were threats to the JCC. They took out a full-page ad uh, in the Jewish newspaper and uh, expressed their support and raised money for the Jewish community, and it was very moving. And I don't think that kind of thing would have taken place had this group that... It, it was definitely connected to the relationships that we very, then nurtured, nurtured together. Thank you, Norm. One more, and then I think we should stop at least the formal part of things. Pam. So I think my talk tonight 
is not about politics. It's about interpersonal relationship. Bring your best self yeah, to, to, to really to a difficult conversation. So social media, how shall I say it? So, social media invites us to practice the opposite of all of these things, the opposite of order, like just go, you know, going, having, you know, to respond to every single thing. Um, be to trust. No, the very second I think something, I absolutely have to, you know, spell it out. Silence, forget it. I have to say, right? Humility, respect. So there's something about social media, at least as we've been in relationship with it so far, it's, a, it's in its infancy, really, um, has many of us practicing the opposite of these midot, or being out of balance in our midot. Um, those of us who are sort of trying to be self-conscious and noticing that we want, I used to say, don't talk politics on Facebook. And then I noticed that I couldn't, I couldn't even keep to my own rule because it was ridiculous. It, it was, it, it felt not possible. Um, so I'm beginning, so, so those of us who at least find ourselves using social media, nonetheless say, yeah, but I'm the same person, you know, on social media. I should be bringing some of the skills and convictions and aspirations that guide the way I am in in face to face relationships. Sometimes I blow it, but I know what what who I want to be. To social media, lately I've started hearing people talk about uh, humanizing the internet. There's there's some think tanks and whatever saying, you know, we're the human beings, like we're the grown ups, and and the internet is the technology, and we actually do get to decide how we use it. So we have, you know, if you're on Facebook, you have many, many, many opportunities every day to come in contact with somebody who's being reactive, who's practicing the opposite of equanimity. I, you, I mean, this takes time, right? I don't always stop and I don't have the self-awareness to, well, I'm getting triggered. If I answer now, I'm liable to be, you know, nasty or arrogant or disrespectful, whatever. Um, but I can hold the aspiration to more often like, whoa, take a breath. It'll still be there. Don't do it. Calm down first. Is there some other way? Do I, do I actually have to counter this person who said something? Um, if, if I do, if it is a person that I'm in relationship and really need to have a conversation, is this the best way to do it? Is this time to do it, right? To ask a series of questions. So, um, Humanizing the internet. I'm hearing that phrase. What an outrageous idea! But um, I, I want to pass that along. That possibility. So I think we probably should stop. I can still hang around and schmooze, but. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you've just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org and donating to Valley Beit Midrash to support the expansion of meaningful Jewish education. Thank you so much for listening.